Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. And thus begins the start of a new season here on the P.I. Window on the World Show. As always, I'm your host, John Hansen. Love that new theme song. It inspires, sort of like gets your blood flowing and uh, gets you interested in what we're going to be talking about, although I'm not sure the music will do it by itself. But nonetheless, uh, as I mentioned, I'm your host, John Hansen, and we are broadcasting through our studios in New York City on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And I've got to tell you, it's hard to believe, but back on March 26, 2009, was our first segment ever. And I have to say, I never expected to be on the air this long. Uh, I, I certainly, I, I've got to say this, the credit is yours, the gratitude is mine. But as we're starting our, our eighth full season on the Blog Talk Radio Network, I'm looking forward to, to bringing you much of the same in terms of the, the stories and the insights uh, that we've shared with you in the past that you've come to expect from us. We, uh, again, uh, tend to go where others do not. And I'd like to think that we spot trends uh, before anyone else in the industry. Uh, some may disagree, but we're always trying to stay ahead of the curve. And, and that leads into today's segment. I've got to tell you, uh, ThomasNet, uh, formerly the Thomas Register, is a company that's been around for more than 100 years. And they formed a partnership with another senior statesperson, states, I didn't say statesman, see, we're, we're, we're trying to be politically correct here, but another uh, senior, uh, senior citizen uh, in the business world, which is done in Bradstreet, who themselves have been around for 150 years, actually more than that. And they've teamed up or formed a partnership to manage supply chain risk, which to you as listeners in the procurement world is a term that you've probably heard on more than one occasion. Now, in today's show, I'm going to be joined by ThomasNet President and CEO Tony Upoff to talk about this partnership. And we had a little bit of a pre-advanced chat in the, uh, in, in, in the virtual green room, as I like to call it. So rather than uh, delaying any further, let's continue that discussion. And first of all, welcome Tony to the show. Tony, how are you today? Hey, John, it's great to join you. I'm still rocking out to your cool new theme song, and congrats on the longevity of the show. It's great to join you. Well, thank you. And again, you know what? You never planned to be on the air this long, but hey, you go with the flow. Yeah. Now, you know, we talked about this briefly uh, leading into this, uh, and, and one of the first questions that came to my mind uh, I asked is, you know, what took so long for you guys to come together? Uh, you know, it seems so obvious that you had mentioned something about uh, external forces of, of market needs. Uh, you know, so can you elaborate that on, on, a little bit on that and explaining that? Because it seems like a natural for your two organizations to be doing this. It just you should have been doing this much sooner. 
Yeah, you know, John, as, as we briefly touched on before, we embarked on uh, a, a fairly in-depth research project late last year where we interviewed 1,200 total um, suppliers uh, and buyers around the issue of supply chain risk management, what they were doing, what they needed, how they were approaching it. And we saw a couple of things. First off, we saw a, a significant increase in focus on it. Uh, the secondary thing that we saw is we believed in unmet, unmet need. So what really drove this was our audience's need to view suppliers in terms of their products and services, but also now their sustainability as it relates to their supply chain as inextricably intertwined. So that really started this process. Then once we determined that made sense for us, the obvious you know, partner was DNB, given the quality of the data and, and uh, you know, their experience in, in, the, in that side of, uh, of the, um, the proposition. I, I think perhaps implicit in your question is what took so long? I, I, think, I think we are seeing an acceleration of the importance of the health and sustainability of suppliers um, in the eyes of the buyer. And, and that is something we can just see from the, the number of supplier evaluations, which are up about 30% year on year, um, but also in the kind of interactions we're hearing from between uh, you know, suppliers and, and buyers. Okay, now I have to ask this because, you know, one of the things, and, and I'm going to lead into my next question shortly, which is, you know, supply chain risk is nothing new. As long as there's been supply chains, there's been risk. I mean, there have been Aberdeen studies and reports going back to, you know, 10, 15 years they're saying is, is that everyone on the buyer side recognizes that there are risks, but the vast majority say they're not taking the measures to address them. Is part of the issue now, and is because within the social media world, and we're all hyper-connected, and information about uh, issues and problems, it, it's more readily available. Is it, is it because there is greater awareness now as to what supply chain risk is and its implement, uh, implications in terms of that? You know, you talk about sustainability. You talk about some of the problems with the horse meat scandal. You talk about, you know. Uh, all kinds of elements and challenges. And so as you begin to expand your supply chain, become more globalized or go the opposite direction, uh, start dealing localized and trying to build up local vendor uh, involvement. I mean, is, is a lot of the driving force now, uh, not so much that the awareness wasn't there, but the awareness of what the consequences of not managing risk really are? I think it's a great question, John. Couple couple thoughts on that. I think first off, you know, the reason we know the name Tim Cook is not because he was a a designer of products. He was a genius in terms of supply chain management, right? And so I think we've elevated a, a bit of understanding the importance of it. I agree with you that I do think the transparency with which you know publicly traded companies these days operate and our ability to see particularly, unfortunately, a gap in a supply chain or a failure in a supply chain and the consequences that would happen. I think there's another point here I'd emphasize. I think we've hit an inflection point in terms of speed, and I think that is also the, the, the fact of technology or the, the impact of technology. We are so much more connected globally today, so our ability to look at alternative suppliers, to evaluate them quickly, and then also to make a change if we need to or adapt to a failure in our supply chain is so much faster. So both the opportunity is going up, but I would argue along with that, the risk goes up because you, know, you wanna make sure you're making the right step. And I think you know, to your question or observation there, John, I do think there is 
um, more visibility on this. And heaven forbid one of us stumbles in our supply chain, it, it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly. Okay, now I have to ask you this because there's other factors that come to the equations, you know, with acquisitions and purchasing and supply chain. You deal with what's known as economic regional benefits. You deal with all of these other factors that are, are, are coming into the equation. Is, is, is it also the ability of managing that risk is to better quantify or measure what those risks are as well as what the returns are? Do you know what I mean, uh, Tony? It, it's like, you know, again, we're not talking about anything new here, but there's you know, there's obviously these areas that of involvement and the types of procurement people do. Are we dealing with complex acquisitions like a fighter jet? Are we dealing with uh, common MRO goods? I mean, like the, the whole thing is interconnected. I mean, how does that fit in with all of these diverse uh, elements to it? Yeah, I, I think you're on to something, John. I mean, I think, you know, not only has the process sped up, the choice has gotten more varied, the risk has gone up along with that, but the complexity can be sort of mind-boggling, right? It's, it's global, it's regional, it's regulatory, it's, you know, there's certifications to sort through. There's all kinds of complexity in and around this. I, I mentioned before, I saw a similar um, paradigm play out in the business technology arena where it used to be purely as companies were adopting technology in the, in the huge waves in the 80s and 90s. Initially, it was really just about the value of the technology itself. You know, what does the technology do? Evaluate the technology, the price, and the performance. And then suddenly it became another 50% of the decision around the supplier of the technology. Was it sustainable? Could they add value? Um, you know, could they, could they you know, uh, support this technology? Were they going to be able to, to support iterations going forward? And it really changed the way the buyer started to look at some of the suppliers. Perhaps, John, we're seeing a similar paradigm here play out a little bit. I also think that, you know, as we look at what we do, what we really think one of our, you know, missions really needs to be with our core platform of ThomasNet, we want to simplify the process. We want to streamline it and make it easier, not easy, because it's not easy, as you just described it, make it easier for that buyer to understand both the products and services that a supplier has, and then all the regional and, and national and global complexities around that but also now the sustainability of that supplier and the potential risk they might be facing. See, now there's two streams of thoughts I come from there. One, one deals with the obstacle of adoption. Remember I mentioned earlier, reports going back saying, you know, we all recognize that there, is, there are supply chain risks or risks that make us vulnerable in our supply chain. Uh, but the majority say we haven't taken the proper measures. So the first thing that comes to mind is, is the complexities that we just alluded to earlier, uh, is that, was that an obstacle to them being able to address that? And is this, this uh, uh, Thomas Net and uh, Dun and Bradstreet partnership, as you said, because you said something key there, uh, not simplifying it, but making it understandable and accessible. In other words, you can't fix something you don't really comprehend or understand. I mean, is that one of the obstacles that you'll remove and thus will improve those numbers uh, in terms of people saying, we know there's a risk, but we're not doing anything, to now we know there are risks, and now we know what we can do. Do you know what I'm saying? We I do, John. We, we believe so, right? Because if you think about it, there's a couple of components here. The, the fact that, that companies, um, you know, historically have not always done the best job or individuals have not always done the best job of, of mitigating the risk in their, in their supply chain doesn't mean it wasn't something that they were worried about. It hasn't been that easy, we don't believe, in terms of being able to make those simple and early evaluations on that. 
you know, part of this is, you know, we're seeing a phenomenon where increasingly supplier selection is moving upstream and is an evaluation that's happening earlier and earlier and in, in, even into the design phase, and they're specking in certain, you know, specific suppliers. Well, as that happens, and companies are looking to innovate with the products they're designing, the decision around a supplier in that earlier stage is going to be critically important. So long way of saying, John, I agree with you. I think these tools haven't been available before, so that's been part of the problem. I also think the need to be very smart and thoughtful and to look at a 360, if you will, around your supplier, that need has gone up. See, now this speaks to your issue about the technology and the, the earlier focus on technology. It's almost as if we're now catching up with technology because let's face it, when, when we start to automate the process and onboarding was one of the focuses, getting on as many suppliers as you could, obviously in those days uh, there wasn't the focus upon the qualification as much as there was the building of these networks. And you know, there's a lot of service providers who have offered and said, we've got this network of so many suppliers and we have tens of thousands thousands of suppliers. I mean, is this really a sign that we are now catching up with the technology to say, and, and, and alluding to what you said in terms of we're now earlier in a better position earlier to assess the value of the supplier? Uh, is that the other factor, the other side of this coin? You're absolutely right. It is. And, and I think, you know, if, if, you, if you go with the adage that technological change always proceeds cultural change, meaning we unleash these new technologies, and then it may take us as long as a decade to really understand how to get on the right side of managing these technologies. And, and I think your, your observation really reflects that. And I think we've had these you know, networks, we've had information, we've had all kinds of things happening in the industrial markets for an extended period of time. I think now what's happening is companies, these are just simply tools. Things like ThomasNet is, is a professional tool uh, and, and, you know, having data and information inside that that allows people to act not just as engineers, not just as purchasing agents, but also as critical business people on behalf of their companies, um, those tools are now available to them. And so I think you're right. I think that, that you know, our use of the technology perhaps and our, our management of the technology is, is enabling use cases that people always had. We're just able to put it together in a way that, um, allows for more uh, simple and simplified impact for the user of these technologies. Okay, now this is an interesting point here, because and and let's go back and we'll go back a uh, hundred years into your history and both your respective companies' histories. Your your histories, DNB and ThomasNet, and the resources. You know, uh, when I did an interview uh, last year talking about, I remember the old uh, Thomas Register dog tag and the paper clip and the stick of notes with the different pages to access suppliers. Your respective organizations have all along been building up a strong supply base where there's been checks and balances in terms of, 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 of supplier uh, stability and, and all of the key elements. In other words, you, your whole focus, and that's the whole direction from where you're coming. On the other side, the technology companies who have built up these private networks or supplier networks, they didn't have that history or depth or focus. Again, they were building up that much faster to onboard and get suppliers in the system, not necessarily qualifying them or putting in the, 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 the checks and balances that have existed with you from the very beginning, even before technology. So I've got to ask this, is that not a competitive advantage 
for this new partnership. Uh, you know, I don't want to go against any particular company, but there's the Ariba Network, uh, per- Perfect Commerce is a network, ABC, it could be any of those companies. But if they're built on a technological base, aren't they automatically at a disadvantage to what your organization or partnership now has been doing all along? Yeah, John, I, I think you're absolutely right. If you if you look at ThomasNet, ThomasNet is a is a leading edge technology platform that sits on top of 120 years of understanding the industrial marketplaces and how to match suppliers with buyers. So the the institutional knowledge, the data, the experience that we've developed through the years didn't go away when we went online. It actually helped accelerate that platform. So I think there's a tremendous amount of, of uh, value to that. Um, I, I feel the same way about DNB. I mean, if you, if, you, if you spend time with that organization, what you realize is that a 100-year-old-plus organization, um, they are now a modern company, and, and they produce most of what they do you know, via software. But the way they do that today is with a long history of understanding how to capture, analyze, scrub, and, and um, distribute data and information. And so when you put those two together, I think it's really powerful. As far as the networks are concerned, I, you know, I, I think putting aside the obvious point of any network that's affiliated with a vendor, by definition, you, you might you know, raise your eyebrow out. But, but putting that aside for a minute, the idea of a network is kind of a dated model, right? You know, what scales today are platforms, not networks, right? So think of television networks, which are starting to wane. Think of the old ad networks that were created in the first wave of the Internet. I think these idea of these networks, and, and I'm not specifically speaking to anyone that operates in this space, but, but I think that's a 20th century construct in the 21st century. We don't really believe in the network model. We think platforms are what users engage with and we look at ThomasNet as fundamentally the Bloomberg terminal for the industrial markets. And I, I don't think of it as a network, nor do our customers. Well, you see, now this is interesting because, and, and I would tend to agree with you, it, there's a certain amount of obsolescence or the emergence of this partnership and coming together of these two strengths uh, to form one collective, uh, let's say, platform uh, I think that renders the old uh, network uh, vendor network model somewhat obsolete. So I've got to ask this question. Service providers who have built this into their offering, I mean, how are they going to adjust or how are they going to respond to you? I mean, I remember when, when, we, when we first uh, talked about a year and a half ago, I can't remember who from Thomas that I had on the line. Um, but I, I was saying, you know, aren't you, aren't you going to become a takeover target for a big Ariba or an SAP? Oh, Ariba is part of SAP, of course. But, like, given the importance of a supply network, I mean, without a proper – and let's call it now a platform – without a properly vetted and managed supply platform the technology largely becomes to a certain degree i'm talking about the process technology to a certain degree becomes irrelevant i mean so where does that position everybody because there is no other dun and bradstreet there is no other thomas that you two are together who's going to be able to compete with you on that and what's going to happen to the vendor community in terms of how they're going to respond to you yeah, well, I think, you know, we've seen this play out in other marketplaces when vendors, you know, tried to create networks and marketplaces and things like that. And, and who knows? I, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to say that that model is, is not going to work. What I, what I will say is we look at our business going forward, and what we're plotting is, 
you know, the next 10 to 15 years worth of growth in our company as a platform company and business. And we think that what if we stay very focused on what our audiences need, we solve our audience's problem, then it is easy for us to solve our advertisers' problem. So we're myopically focused on what our audiences need. Um, and, and I know, as far and I, don't, as, I don't mean to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt, no, but one ahead. of the things you did say, and I agree with you, is that the network model, like television and the old advertising internet days, is outdated. You've got to think in terms of platform. But what makes you yep. a platform is the fact that you have over 100 years of history and all of the vetting process. I remember, which, you know, in the old days of computers, and I don't want to date myself, but I go back to the days of the punch cards, the 8-inch floppies, and the, you know, before, uh, before Windows and DOS, there was CPM. And, 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 and the, we had an old saying, and it's, it, it's still true today, garbage in, garbage out. Automation can come, but it's quality information. You've got over 100 years, and, and, and Dun Bradstreet has over 100 years of quality information that was based primarily on creating a vetted, reliable supply source. The new technology coming up and the vendor networks that were built around technology have no such intelligence built into them. Not to the same degree. I, I think we can agree on that. So the real question this comes into is, is that, it, it, you know, and looking at the TV network example you gave, it does render those networks somewhat obsolete because if you, if you don't have the ability and the intelligence within the system to do the vetting that both of your organizations have been so fantastic at doing, uh, why would anyone want to deal with anyone other than you? I mean, that's the question I'm asking. Yeah, and, and you know what, John, I, um, you, you've crystallized our strategy quite well, my friend. Uh, I, I agree with you, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be glib about it. You know, it, it is very hard to describe the power of that curating of information and content, that editing, that vetting that you reference, and the years upon years upon years upon years of history of doing that, and now doing that with advanced technology. It's very hard to replace that. That is a form of data. Um, and then also a, a recipe, if you will, that is very, very hard to replicate, if perhaps not impossible. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest it creates a barrier of entry that would be impossible, but um, I, I think it's a very high one. And, and frankly, you know, we're, we're excited to continue to, to steer this into the future because we do think with some uh, very positive things that we see happening in, in the broader industrial marketplaces, and with some of the new products and services, we're, uh, we're igniting a, a stage of growth for the company that's really very exciting. Well, you know, and, I, and I've got to say, and by the way, I, I, I barrier of entry, that was what I was thinking just as you were saying it. Uh, although nothing is possible, I think this is as close to impossible as it could get. Is the modularity of our marketplace now, remember, we've moved away from the back end, uh, locally hosted ERP uh, mega systems and, and everything's in the cloud, everything's modular. Is it possible to say that you will become the conduit between the end buyer market and the various uh, uh, service providers that are out there, like an SAP, uh, like a Perfect Commerce, like any of those other organizations? In other words, you, you will be the front line and you'll have a direct relationship with the buyer or end user community. And they will have to build their systems around being able to utilize and leverage yours. I mean, that's the logical way that I see it happening, but I could be missing something. 
You know, certainly, you know, we're already starting to do that in some of the CAD marketplaces where our data is in CAD systems and, and you know, I, I could see that evolving. Um, I, I think any, any way our audience wants to best interact with the mission-critical data and information we provide, particularly around supplier evaluation and supplier health and, and uh, supply chain risk management, you know, if, if it made sense for us to work in partnerships to broaden and extend and deepen our audience, we would certainly look at that. I, I'd go back to what we said earlier. We really believe very strongly in the platform model and believe that that's the best way for us to serve our audiences. And to your point, making that more modular could make sense. And there are examples, you know, through API technology and other ways we could provide access to data that might fit into other systems. I, I certainly wouldn't say, John, that that's a core part of our roadmap going forward. I would say it would be more ancillary, um, but we're always interested in those types of opportunities that where we think our data can serve an audience in a positive way. And if by extending that through some of these other um, you know, I love your term, modular uh, component ways. If that makes sense, we'll be evaluating those as well. So in reality, your audience is, in reality, the buyers is, is traditionally what's been known in the service provider community as the end user. You, you don't need to have the service providers to build your market. You don't need that as an access because you already have a presence. And ultimately, if you can build out in that modular way uh, to, to help facilitate a better procurement process, then you're open to that as well. But you're not dependent, really, on the on the service provider market. Uh, in, 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 like in the old days, you know, they used to call bolt-on solutions to a lot of the back-end ERP systems. You, you're not you, you're an island onto yourself to a certain degree. I mean, that's really a yeah. fair thing, and your audience is, is actually the, the, the end clients, the buyers themselves, aren't they? Yeah, it's a great way to think about it, John. The way we look at it is, you know, we, we have the two most valuable things that you can create. One is a trusted brand with a very powerful audience, and the other is the ability to scale that through our own technology and our own branded platform. So paraphrasing what you said, yes, we have that, you know, audience that has, has history, you know, many years of history with us and that trust the brand of Thomas and has now gone online with us with ThomasNet um, and we're able to deliver that mission critical information to them via our platform. So those are the two things that you really need, a, a, an audience that trusts your brand and a scalable platform and we have those two things. You know, now if I was a strategist, and again, I'll use the service providers because they've largely been the drivers of vendor network in, in, in this new era of, of technological advancement and cloud computing. But if I were a strategist, do you think I would be surprised by the emergence of this? I mean, have you caught the market off, not so much the people you've always served, your indigenous market, but have you caught the market in general? Uh, by surprise by this. I mean, who couldn't see this happening? I mean, I asked you the question at the beginning of the show, what took so long? I mean, in reality, it could be rephrased, well, who couldn't see the inevitably, uh, inevitability of this happening? I mean, it, 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 did you really, do you think you've caught really some sectors of the marketplace by surprise with this? It's possible, John. You know, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about that in all candor and, and worrying about it. As you're asking the question, I'm thinking it along with you. Um, 
you know, I, certainly, you know, we, we do a little bit of competitive game theory here. We're not ignorant of those things. Uh, but as I said before, we really try to stay focused on, you know, how can we best serve the audience? And then how do we then, you know, uh, you know, create the right types of products that allow our advertisers to reach, engage, and sell to that audience? And so that's where we spend most of it. But I, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing your point. I, um, I think as we think more broadly across the marketplaces, we certainly understand that as we build this strategy out, we're putting ourselves in a uh, nice position going forward. We don't take it for granted, but a nice position where we can continue to build and grow the platform. I don't mean to laugh, but you know what? I'm thinking, spoken like the kid who has both the bat and the baseball. You know, there's no game, really. I mean, that's the first thing. You know, it's easy to be magnanimous when you've got control of the market like that. I mean, who's going who's gonna to argue with you? You can set the bases up five feet apart or 20 feet apart if you want. If anybody wants to play in the game, you've got the bat and the ball. Take it. Anyway, uh, Tony, I want to just thank you for joining us today. The time has flown by so quickly. I, I hope we can have you on the show again in another six months or so because I'd love to get an update on this, but we will be tracking you. Procurement Insights and the PR window on the show, World Show, will be tracking your progress because I, I think this is a game changer, and I'm sure you would agree. Hey, John, we're excited about it, as you can tell, based on my enthusiasm. Really appreciate you having us on the show and look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks so much, Tony. All the best. And, of course, to you, our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, as always, I mean, after nine years, you're still here. I'm cueing the new music to start over again. Uh, by the way, if you have any comments about the music, let us know. Again, I think it's pretty cool. Stay tuned uh, for our next podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.